Right, there's only actually two animal stories. He gave us oh. some fake news earlier on. Okay. I was looking for the bears. Yeah, I thought there were bears, yeah. but there weren't actually. Okay. It's the third Friday of September, September 23rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Forum Fake News Purveyor. <laughs> with me today is Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Binnenhof Pirate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in contrast to the King, you actually visited the Binnenhof uh, <laughs> last week, didn't you? I was actually at the Binnenhof, or just around the back of the Binnenhof to be exact. Yeah. I, was, I was on the Hofveve which was, yeah. uh, I felt very privileged. Um, you don't often get to go on the Hoffa, but there was a, uh, a little uh, boat trip. It was a press junket, to be honest. It was just like a freebie. I got a, a glass of fizz and a, uh, and a little cake, which is very nice, um, a little way to round <laughs> off a Friday afternoon. But I also got absolutely soaking wet because it was a really heavy shower while we were out in the water. <laughs> and suddenly all the umbrellas came up and the cakes got soaked. I managed to... Um, Little... And then you realise you didn't bring an umbrella. Yeah, exactly. But lucky man's shelter under somebody else's. Yeah. But the cake, uh, I guess I should plug it really. Um, was uh, was it was called the Torrentatje, and it's been made to celebrate 40 years of the Torrentje, the Prime Minister's office being the Prime Minister's office, because uh, the yeah, Lubbers moved in exactly 40 years ago last week. Yeah, and and we always think that um, the 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 Torentje, you know, that little tower on the corner of the Binnenhof on the Hof Five and next yeah. to the Mauritshuis Museum, we always think this is this is, has been the Prime Minister's office for centuries yeah, and centuries, yeah. but it actually hasn't. No, it's quite a recent thing. And before that, um, I think you were telling me it was uh, the office of um, the Foreign Affairs Minister. Was it over there? Yeah. I yeah. know uh, the uh, interior minister. Interior minister, yeah, the home affairs yeah. minister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and uh, yeah, and uh, uh, which uh, in the past was uh, the well-known um, boomer columnist Hans Wiechel, uh, <laughs> the uh, who famously, as uh, yeah, you told me, used to leave the lights on after he'd gone home, so everyone thought he was working late into the night. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, that was his. Uh, that was his trick. Um, I believe uh, Mark Rutte's lights are always on, but that's because he's always there. He doesn't have a life besides uh, being prime minister, so uh, he's always there. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, um, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, what What did you do? Did did, did was it like a, a, a historical tour, or did you point something out? Did you Did you actually see, for example, the terrace uh, at, uh, next to the prime minister's office? Uh, no, nothing like that. We just did a two um, uh, two two of the Hoffeife, we kind of did a little uh, circuit of the uh, of the island, um, and uh, yeah, I think we we, we we had a commentary that uh, uh, about uh, all the um, uh, all the kind of um, yeah, uh, buildings around the side of the Hoffeife, like uh, the uh, the historical museum and the Maurits House. Um, but yeah, um, no, we, we didn't actually get to see the terrace. We weren't allowed to get too close. Uh, Notice oh, we sort of stopped to take pictures from from a distance, but uh, we couldn't get yeah. right. We weren't allowed to get right up to it. So you you didn't strand on the on the little island. Uh, in no, the, in the, we didn't the, stop the on the island pond? and get stuck there oh. and have to be rescued by firefighters like the people oh, were skating. Too bad. <laughs> too bad. And, and did you February. find the famous uh, Binnenhof Fiver uh, uh, pen? Uh, no, I looked for it, but uh, no, I couldn't mm. see it in the water. So again, um, yeah. so yeah, I, I was hoping I could uh, yeah retrieve it and have a little scoop and uh, hand it into the historical museum because I know they're yeah. they're anxious to, <laughs> to to get this pan that uh, somebody dropped in the water during one of the uh, anti-coronavirus protests um, I think it was 
I think it was while uh, Mark Rutte was uh, broadcasting uh, live from the Torrentier with one of his, uh, his, his, uh, his speeches to the nation, right? Yeah. His uh, historical speeches uh, in, the, in the corona pandemic. And uh, yeah, this, this one of these protesters was making sound in order to disturb the, 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 the broadcast yeah. and, uh, w- with a pen. And then it fell into the water, which is <laughs> an hysterical video. That's brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 very funny. And uh, yeah, the, 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 the Hague Historical Museum has, tr- has, has tried several attempts with divers to 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 find it but they 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 failed so it's yeah it's speed, uh, yeah. yeah we have very bad treasure hunters in um in uh, <laughs> clearly uh, in, in in the netherlands yeah maybe they should uh, ask some experts from the british museum to come over <laughs> yeah but yeah but the, the, yeah the, in fact that's probably what's happened you know it's, it's probably in the british museum right now <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they sneaked in in the middle of the night <laughs> they've stolen <laughs> our artifacts they, they, yeah, yeah they've stolen your cooking pans yeah <laughs> Wouldn't you surprise me that they did, yeah. <laughs> mm. Right, yeah. Uh, yes, um, yeah, the, 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 that kind of nugget of fake news brings us on to, yeah, what you've been up to this week, Paul, uh, which is because uh, you've actually been uh, retweeted by the, um, the by the doyen of fake news himself, uh, uh, Professor Dr. Thierry Baudet. Yeah, despite being blocked by him on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, we will uh, talk about that. Uh, I think a little bit later. No, we won't. We w- no, decided to decided discuss we'll it talk about here. It now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, we it was budget day, of course, and uh, budget day is always followed by uh, the algemene politieke beschouwingen, the debate on the budget. And uh, this year it was uh, Thierry Baudet who managed to cause the most ophef. Uh, he uh, had a well bewildering speech with in which he quoted a number of philosophers nobody uh, ever heard about. And uh, he also insinuated that um, uh, Finance Minister Sigrid Kaag uh, uh, was a spy, or mm. she had studied at uh, St. Anthony's College in Oxford, yeah. uh, uh, which he said is famous for uh, delivering a number of spies. So he, he basically linked um, uh, Kaag with, uh, w- w- with that uh, anecdote. Mm. Uh, and Sigrid Kaag, who you know, has to uh, suffer a lot of insults from him and also from a lot of supporters from uh, his party, um, uh, decided that she was uh, fed up with it and she uh, stood up and she walked out of the parliamentary chamber yeah. um, and she was immediately followed by uh, the rest of the cabinet who, uh, yes, uh, sort of out of uh, uh, solidarity with her and uh, to support her, uh, joined her. Mm. Um, Naturally, this was uh, uh, the only thing everyone was talking about instead of, uh, you know, the actual things they they have been debated about, um, which was a little bit annoying. But at least this was, you know, uh, a little bit more entertaining than uh, than the rest of the debate has been. Um, But um, um, uh, I was watching it and I uh, screenshotted um, uh, 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 an image of, of the of the. Uh, you know the seats of the of the cabinet, which which were empty, and uh, Kaag had left her uh, laptop open mm. on her bench, and I decided to <laughs> Photoshop the Wikipedia page of the St <laughs> Anthony's College uh, in that screen, and I uh, made a made a made a very cheap joke about it, yeah. uh, saying uh, uh, who has Googled this, um, and um, uh, I thought it was a very clear, clearly photo badly photoshopped uh, um, uh, image, but yeah, and yeah, many people who agreed with you as well. Yeah, and including Thierry Baudet, who <laughs> quoted uh, that tweet saying that, uh, you know, 
Uh, what did he actually say? He said, uh, "Ah, they, 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 they are finally listening to me, or something like no, that." No, did he not say something like, uh, "Yes, uh, 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 yeah, funnily enough, uh, Doctor Thierry Baudet did also do part of his uh, um, uh, yeah, did a study for his PhD at Oxford because he always uh, yeah. makes a big thing of that." Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the interesting thing here is that the abbreviation for doctor he misspelled. Yes, he he wrote it with a capital D, which you should with a with a small d. Mm. Uh, and he also uh, used the the um, American form of PhD, which is PH uh, full stop D full stop. Yeah. Even though in Britain it is uh, a PhD, just uh, uh, w- without the full stops. Yeah. So, um, uh, as someone who has been studying at Oxford, you would think he knows how to sp- how to use the, the 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 British convention, which he interestingly didn't. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, <laughs> it was uh, it was another uh, uh, bizarre episode <laughs> in my online uh, life. I think <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, and of course, as soon as Baudet quote tweeted you in this, you see, you, you obviously get a. Fl- lot of replies from all the usual, usual kind of fa day fanboys uh, telling you how terrible you are at photoshop but uh which but no no, no they, were, the they joke, actually joke, agreed right? with me yeah. right. no, yeah. they 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 they, <laughs> they fell for the joke as well yeah right. and uh, they, they they started to follow me and right, okay. the next day they immediately they unfollowed, unfollowed me yeah yeah because uh yeah uh, i'm not i'm not a huge fan of uh, jerry Boudet. No, but no. Uh, yeah, yeah it was it was another interesting week uh, um, um, uh, on the internet again. Yeah, in the world of fake news. Yeah, and of course, there's another yeah. interesting detail emerged because uh, uh, we learnt uh, who else uh, studied at St. Anthony's College in Oxford. It wasn't just Sikikach, was it? It was... Uh... It was also Form for Democracy's um, uh, self-proclaimed party philosopher, Laughlin. Yeah. Uh, John Laughlin, yes. Who, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, who, 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 the who same, gives all sorts of the same hotbed of spies that uh, Baudet so uh, uh, eagerly denounced in Parliament. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so maybe he knows something. And also, I was kind of interested that uh, <laughs> Baudet uh, made a lot of uh, the, Ox- the the spy rings in Oxford, but said absolutely nothing about the spies in Cambridge. Because I've I've got a funny feeling that he yeah, would um, uh, he would have been more at home uh, among the Cambridge spying <laughs> ring, given that five of them ended up spying for the Soviet Union in the nineteen. 19- yeah. <laughs> Or the Salisbury uh, spy ring. Who yeah. Knows? yeah, I guess yeah. Oxford is close to Salisbury, so perhaps that was on in mm-hmm. mind. Um, That's, uh, but yeah. I think we're onto something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but did, did you think Kach uh, was right to walk out? Was it the right move? Uh, no, I don't think so, because mm. um, um, my I firmly believe in do not feed the trolls, mm. uh, do not dignify um, them with any response, and uh, walking out is a response. Um, I think there is no way you can you can win this, right? You can you can, but I think with walking out, um, you made Cheribudere. Uh, how do you say that? Um, uh, th- that was the best scenario for him. I yeah, think. Yeah, he made him the star of the show, basically. Uh, exactly, yeah. and you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't want uh, to make him the star of the show. I mean, I, I understand that it is annoying to listen to him and to, to, uh, you know, hear these accusations and these insinuations, but. By responding to him, you give him what he wants, and that is attention. Mm. And yeah, you should, um, yeah. Um, um, Avoid that, I think, as yeah. much as possible. Yeah, I tend to agree. I thought initially it was the right thing to do to, to make a stand and water because he wasn't. You know, he, was, he was calling them spies and crooks as well. He was calling them they're a crooked yeah. government. They're in the pocket of the coming up with this usual conspiracy nonsense about them in the pocket of the World Economic Forum. And I thought you know they're they're, they're right to make, take a stand, but they it did mean that Baudet got two days of news worth out of this. I mean, he then uh, spent exactly. the, the next day he turned up an on-hoard Nederland, even though. 
Interestingly, I mean, he had his <laughs> speaking time was supposed to be much later in the evening, uh, but he had it brought forward because he said his partner was about to give birth and he had to be by her bedside, um, uh, and that meant, of course, that he got he spoke he got to speak before the uh, before before Newsier went on air, which was absolutely yeah. crucial for his whole strategy. And then, of course, the next day he he didn't go back to Parliament. He said, uh, "Oh, I've got to be with my partner now." And guess what? He turned up on Onhoard Nederland, so uh, which is a kind of I thought was a very strange place to have a maternity hospital, but nevertheless. Uh, <laughs> Or, 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 or sitting next to him doing the Netherlands, yeah, live studio birth, whatever. Anyway, yeah. Van Hagen was sitting next to him. Maybe that was the baby. <laughs> you never know, too. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, uh, the, the, I think the other thing is you got to question the role of uh, Fer Bergkamp in this, uh, who uh, eventually did. Uh, intervene and tell him to withdraw his comments, but only after being given a good couple of minutes worth of rope to um, uh, to, 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 to spin this out. Um, and as yeah. so, perhaps if she'd actually um, been more proactive in, uh, in, in, in 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 cutting Bode off, or at least saying get back on topic, sunshine, because she said right at the start of the debate she wanted to keep questions and comments as uh, as, as brief as possible. Then maybe we could have avoided this whole this whole fiasco. The interesting thing here is that uh, uh, who disturbed the, the the session here? It wasn't Baudet. It mm. was Kaag and the cabinet by walking out. Well, it was all uh, of them, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, but, but it was they all of them set yeah. up. But yeah, they, then they then you're right. It was the reason they had to suspend the session was that all the ministers walked out, and then you can't have a debate with the cabinet if there's no cabinet present. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that was also. In, so she hasn't. Uh, she can't control her own MPs, and she can't control the cabinet. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do think. I still still believe that. Um, uh, um, um, uh, a lot of people are are you know, uh, uh, are miss saying that they miss uh, Kadisha Reap, um, um, but I don't think she she could have handled this as well. I mean, Baudet is there to disrupt things. He will find a way to disrupt things. Uh, no matter how strict the, the, the chair is, uh, he will find a way to disturb things. And if you just don't interrupt him uh, uh, at all, uh, that is the that is the fastest way to get rid of him, I think. Um, and yeah, because I mean, that's kind of what happens with Kate Wilders now, right? Kate Wilders always gets first go in yeah. these debates and everybody knows he's just going to give you an hour of racism. So we, everyone just switches off and waits for the real yeah. debate to start. And I think yeah. that's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think we should. We have uh, uh, spent enough time. I think spent uh, quite enough time, Bode. Yeah, uh, we deliberately kind of wanted to hide this off from the actual de- discussion and debate. Uh, but there was uh, other opf surrounding Sikhikar this week, wasn't there, Paul? So, what, what is the opf of the week? That's right, and this was a good opf, I think. Yeah, yeah this week's uh, opf broke loose after Finance Minister Sigrid Kaag said on Monday she wants to get rid of uh, yet another Prinsjesdag tradition. Uh, we will talk about um, uh, Prinsjesdag more later in the podcast, of course, uh, or Budget Day, as we call it on uh, on this show. Uh, but it is the day that the government outlines its plans for the next year, with the speech from the throne, delivered by King Willem-Alexander. It's a day full of uh, pomp, ceremony and traditions, and one of them is that the Finance Minister brings the government's new budget to the trade de Kamer in a special briefcase, uh, simply known as het koffertje. Hmm. Uh, that's a tradition that has been in place since 1947. And Kaag, uh, she's the first female finance uh, minister, by the way, uh, said in talk show Jinek on Monday that she's planning on getting rid of the current coverture and uh, she wants a new and more sustainable one next year. And that plan prompted immediate opposition on the internet from people who said uh, nothing is more sustainable than reusing something for decades. Yeah. And also uh, nothing is not- more Dutch either. So. 
Ja, exactly. Ja. En voor deze people accused Kaag of destroying yet another tradition. But if they had listened to her, she, sa- she had said that uh, it's simply too old. It's practically falling apart. So, yeah, there is a real danger that next year she, uh, uh, on, on one of, uh, one of the uh, enormous escalators in the Tweede Kamer mm. building, uh, the handle falls off and the entire budget, um, yeah, it gets stuck. The entire budget the... leaks out. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> does Before anyway. it's offered to, yeah, we want to avoid any leak. So yeah, yes. we want to avoid that as well. Yeah. Um, despite um, yeah the uh, despite the fact that the the coffertje is simply falling apart, opposition party yeah in a 20 table to motion that called on the government to keep using it, uh, despite uh, a very sarcastic reaction of Mark Rutte saying that now the government is finally looking forward and trying to proactively take action before things are falling apart. Mm. The opposition is still not happy. Uh, the motion was accepted, uh, so next year we will probably see it again uh, and hopefully they will find a way to uh, to repair it a little bit yeah perhaps yeah they'll, they'll probably just sort of patch things up and hope hope for the best which is what been their kind of policy towards every other thing that falls apart <laughs> in, the, uh, in the last exactly. few years of government yeah 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 throw some money at it This week, King Willem-Alexander was booed by angry farmers on his way to open the new parliamentary year with a very somber speech from the throne. The cabinet finally announced there will be a cap on gas and energy prices, sort of. The Tweede Kamer debated with Prime Minister Mark Rutte about the new budget in a too-long... Two too day long. long de- it was too long. You're right. Yeah, it was too long, but it was a two day long debate. Um, consumer confidence has fallen to a record low. And to lighten the mood, uh, there's not one, not two, but three animal stories. And in the sports section, more animals. Happy new parliamentary year, everybody, because Because this week was the third Tuesday in September, and that can only mean one thing in the Netherlands Prinsjesdag, or as we call it on the podcast, Budget Budget Day. On this day, the king officially opened the new parliamentary year with a speech from the throne in which he outlined the government's plans for the coming year in a joint session uh, of both houses of the state's general, as it is officially called. Uh, And also the finance minister offered the government's budget to the Tweede Kamer. After the previous two editions uh, were stripped from all pomp, ceremony and pageantry due to the corona pandemic, this year middle-aged women from around the country could once again come to The Hague and wave to the king, uh, Queen Maxima as well, in their horse-drawn carriage. Okay, but this year it didn't go entirely uh, to the script, right? That's right. Uh, there were, it was a day of many firsts. Uh, to begin with, uh, Princess Amalia joined her parents uh, in the carriage. She turned 18 in December last year, and that means she now has uh, constitutional duties, such as uh, wearing dresses and jewelry and waving at crowds from balconies. Also, the venue was different. As we all know, the Binhof complex is currently being renovated and hopefully with the construction plans the right way up. Uh, so the Riddersaal, where the speech is traditionally held, was unavailable and uh, where the last two years uh, they used the Grote Kerk in The Hague, this year the Royal Theatre was chosen, which mm. probably is a suitable uh, place because, yeah, it's all theatre, of course. Yeah. Um, the biggest change, however, was the atmosphere in the city. Instead of cheering royalty fans, the streets were lined this year by angry farmers protesting against the government's plan to combat nitrogen emissions, which could lead to farms being forced to close. As the carriage passed by, they booed the king and uh, held upside-down Dutch flags. 
which they seem to believe is an internationally recognized sign of distress. Yeah, but it just means uh, that the, the Hague has been colonized by Schleswig-Holstein. Exactly, yeah. or the former uh, Yugoslavian uh, kingdom. Yeah. Um, earlier that day, uh, police prevented several farmers from entering the Hague with their tractors. Uh, there were also a dozen or so protesters arrested uh, throughout the day. Um, and uh, the protest reflects uh, the news that an unprecedented low number of people have confidence in the government. According to a survey by NOS, around two-thirds of voters say they do not trust politics or Rutte. Uh, they name inflation, the cost of living crisis, rising energy prices and immigration as their main points of concern. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, the King's speech uh, wasn't exactly a barrel of laughs then. Now, it was a quite somber speech. Um, yeah, first of all, he listed all the challenges that the government is uh, currently facing. So it was a very, very long speech. Uh, soaring energy prices, unprecedented inflation, uh, housing crisis, a nitrogen crisis. Also the war in Ukraine, uh, which he described as uh, a danger for our own freedom yeah. uh, and uh, farmers' protests uh, yeah. as well. So, so, yeah, so, so basically, uh, Mark Rutte or his, his office wrote a speech for the king listing all the ways the government was failing so the yeah. king had to kind of take responsibility for it yeah exactly yeah um yeah yeah that was sort of the uh, through the th through the lines you you, you the, the 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 king was asking parliament uh, the mps and also the public to uh yeah just uh, uh, have more faith in the government and to <laughs> yeah. renew their faith in in the cabinet that 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 was basically what he was asking um yeah there were also a lot of um, new measures uh, announced uh, the 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 speech was uh, had to be apparently be rewritten the night before because on monday night um, uh, uh, the cabinet agreed with uh, gas suppliers and energy suppliers w uh, uh, with this this gas and energy cap, mm. which we will uh, talk about later in the in the podcast. So they had to renew, rewrite the the the, the speech. Um, um, you you could really notice that he had some, he hadn't seen the final version uh, 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 long before the actual speech because he made a lot of mistakes yeah. and uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't the best speech ever. I have to say, but uh, yeah, he did his best. No, yeah. No, it was, uh, I guess, fitting for how the cabinet is dealing with a lot <laughs> of the crisis. Yeah. Um, the king announced that the cabinet is uh, reserving 18 billion euros to tackle the cost of living crisis, including a partial partial energy and gas cap. Um, minimum wage and the state pension will be increased by 10% and benefits will be increased as well, while taxes on uh, profits and on wealth will be increased. Uh, the government is still committed to switch from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources and more subsidies will be available for homeowners to make their houses more energy efficient. Um, the Defence Ministry's budget will be increased to 2% of GDP, while 3.9 billion is reserved to support Ukraine with both military and humanitarian means. Um, the king also hinted that the government was ready to offer apologies for the wrongs in the colonial past. He said that now the uh, 105th uh, anniversary of the abolition of slavery is approaching, it is time to reflect openly on the less pleasant chapters in our history. Yeah, that was quite a uh, um, yeah, sort of glossed uh, way to express it, wasn't it? But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so we'll have to see whether there will in fact be an apology, but it, just, it does seem to be the strongest suggestion yet uh, that they will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and for a full overview and a copy of the speech in English, uh, you can click on the link in the liner notes and um, yeah, read the speech yourself. Mm. That's uh, that, that's a good thing, right? The government always provides also an English language um, yeah. uh, a copy of uh, of the speech. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and they, they, they produced it quite quickly this year as well. Um, we noticed that, uh, yeah, it was about, I think, uh, yeah, within about an hour of the speech, uh, just as actually I'd finished uh, r- r- writing my summary of it. Um, <laughs> so we then had to go back in and change all our translations. Uh, so, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent timing from uh, the Rijksvoorlichtingsdienst this time. Yeah, yeah. Was there something that uh, uh, you noted in the speech? Um, yeah, I think uh, he, he said a couple. Of, I noticed he um, the, the the just the language and the tone of it were very kind of uh, like you say, very um, very somber and very uh, almost um, kind of um, you know apologetic for how badly yeah. things were going. And he used the word painful twice. I think he said it was yeah. painful that people weren't able to afford their energy bills, and he also said it was painful that people had such low trust and confidence in the government. Although he also said, um, uh, I noticed that uh, he contrasted the fact that people had low confidence in the actual cabinet, but still quite a lot of faith in um, um, in the institutions of government. So I suppose he was saying that, you know, um, maybe um, uh, trying to, I guess, imply, uh, be grateful for the fact that you're in a, um, in a country with uh, good uh, infrastructure and institutions, even if the people running it aren't um, uh, aren't exactly uh, covering themselves in glory. And he also mentioned the Tuslachnaffaire as well, I think, which is in- yeah. uh, important. Uh, that and the Groningen gas, which are two kind of big sources of uh, reasons why people have very low confidence in the government, because actually... These institutions of government haven't have failed people in the last uh, couple of years. You know, the the the, the tax office of Lustingdienst has been discriminating against parents using kind of automated systems to 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 single them out as fraudsters and not actually checking up whether people are in fact committing fraud. And as a result, they've um, issuing these draconian punishments. So an awful lot of yeah, I think some of the failures are real structural and institutional failures um, that they have to address. And again, with the Groningen gas, the fact that the government was just too um, blindly led down the road of um, trying to extract as much profit as possible from the Kronia gas fields and ignoring the fact that it was, yeah, you know, the, it was causing structural damage to people's homes and they were they, they were far too slow to respond to that. And I think that's been the trend in uh, going back quite a long time that when there's a crisis or a looming crisis, the government uh, doesn't really seem to pick up on it um, until it becomes it's on the verge of being a catastrophe. Yeah, I think the general mood is that uh, a lot of people miss uh, some proactivity from the cabinet. Yeah, uh, yeah for example, this uh, 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 you know rising gas and energy prices uh, 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 problem. You, we have seen that coming for months now, yeah. or almost a year. And uh, yeah, only now they they come up with a plan. And we've seen a similar approach with, for example, the pandemic and uh, with with other problems as well. So yeah, I I just um, hope, and I, that was also the mood in the in the in the in the debate. I think a lot, that was the message. A lot of opposition parties, but also coalition parties, just asked the cabinet to try to be more. Uh, proactive uh, try to you know uh, uh, make some scenarios and work out some some plans before it actually runs out of control um, yeah hopefully they have uh, learned that but at the same time and I think and, and I know we, I'm, uh, we're going to talk about that in the, in the next section mm. uh, but uh, um, um, it was also very worrying that sometimes uh, or very often the response of the Prime Minister was yeah a lot of the institutions are already overburdened um, with what we are asking from them now and if we want 
uh, want them to work harder and to you know prepare for st- we they simply do not have the capacity so yeah it's yeah but that's kind of uh, you know I think uh, the result of the choices that uh, uh, the Ritter's previous governments have made that they wanted uh, they wanted small government they wanted devolved yeah. government they wanted um, you know we, we have a massive crisis I think in uh, youth care which is part a lot of it comes down to the fact that uh, in, I think Britta's first or second cabinet basically handed over control of youth care to uh, to the local authorities, but didn't actually give them yeah. the funds or the uh, the actual infrastructure to to run it properly. Um, all kinds of things like that. And again, with healthcare, the fact we don't have enough IC beds comes in the intensive care beds, or we have someone I think one of the lowest ratios in Europe was a choice made uh, in the name of uh, making the healthcare system more efficient. So all these kind yeah. of uh, measures, you know, it's, it's that old thing that uh, um, uh, I think the Fafid A is kind of being a business oriented party is it's kind of a bit addicted to this kind of management speak of things like. You should make sure there's no slack in the system. Probably there's no slack in the system when you actually need a bit of slack. You need a bit of flexibility to deal with a uh, crisis you didn't see coming. There's just nothing. You have no you have no space. You have no spare capacity, and you just put your uh, already strained systems um, into uh, your already strained systems get dragged uh, into even worse, um, even more dire straits. Yeah, Rutte acknowledged in the debate that, uh, you know, the essential uh, 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 public sector institutions, uh, uh, yeah, they, it, it needs some redundancy uh, in order to deal with crises. He acknowledged that um, uh, uh, he had, you know, changed his mind on this topic uh, recently. So, yeah, uh, hopefully this has, uh, this has put something uh, in motion um, for, the, for the future. But, yeah, it's... Uh, 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 dealing with this uh, while we are uh, uh, having so so many crises is um, yeah it's uh, it's a challenge. It is. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you one thing. Um, this survey by the NOS uh, they broke down uh, trust in the cabinet by uh, party. Uh, yeah. So voted uh, people who have voted for who, uh, which party do you think uh, has the least trust in the cabinet right now? Uh, I would guess that was probably Forum. No. Uh, or maybe it's, the or maybe the SP, the socialists? No. Okay. Uh, you have one more guess. Uh one more guess. Um uh the the the, the SGP. No. <laughs> no. SGP is always very no relatively untrust. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Um no, it's the Boer Burgerbeweging. Ninety six percent of their voters do not uh, trust the cabinet. Uh, you mentioned Forum for Democracy. I would have guessed that as well, but eighty seven percent of their voters have don't have trust. That means thirteen do. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> I'm really curious about this yeah. specific group of people that vote for forum and uh, trust the government. Yeah. Um so yeah, yeah and, 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 and maybe they are the, the the Dutch members of the World Economic Forum. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Uh, and naturally, the uh, the voters of the coalition parties uh, r- remain uh, have the most trust in the cabinet. Yeah, although even uh, they, they, I think, only the Fafid, I think, uh, from from memory, actually had a majority of their voters said they um, uh, they still had confidence in the government, right? Uh, they 60 and VVD, their majority oh. voters uh, have trust in that as well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, 29% of GroenLinks voters still have trust in the government. Yeah. yeah. But I guess, I mean, the GroenLinks have been the constructive opposition, so they tend to yeah, get uh, the concessions, or they, if they find it easier to get the concessions they want than, say, yeah, in 20. Yeah, they that's do have a right. bit more of an open yeah. door to, to, to the Torrentia. To who do you. Who do you think is the most average party? The most average party, the party closest yeah. to the average. Um, yeah. That would probably be 
Let me think now. Um, probably something like Fault or something. Denk. Denk. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's now. That's I just noticed that now. Yeah. 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 No, I don't thought that'd be below, well. well below 50%. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Denk is the etaleur of parties. Right. So after Prince's Dach, as we've already um, said, uh, we have uh, what's always billed as the most important political debate of the year, um, which is the uh, two-day bonanza known as the Algemeene Politieke Beschouwingen, um, yeah, which uh, I think ANP tried to translate as the general reflections. A bit odd, anyways. It's a big, <laughs> kind of all-encompassing debate about the government's program. Usually, it's its budgets, uh, its spending plans for the for the for the upcoming year. And, the MPs and, and pick- whatever is in the current affairs and in 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 in, in new cycle, right? Yeah, whatever's That's on mo- their minds. Yeah, whatever kind of their yeah. particular hobby horses are at the time as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and MPs pick apart the government's budget plans and try and shake down the finance minister for uh, a little bit more cash for their own pet projects. Um, but this year, the debate was dominated by a plan that wasn't actually in the official budget package, which was the cap or the ceiling for gas and electricity prices which was agreed, uh, as we mentioned uh, earlier, on the eve of Prince's Dark and had to be kind of written into the speech in crayon at um, yeah. short, <laughs> short notice. Um, and frustratingly for the opposition, it was so fresh that the actual details still hadn't been worked out, which was kind of Mark Gritter's standard answer to just about every question. Said, I have to go back and check yeah. the details, or we don't have those details. His other standard answer was that he can't criticise the cabinet for sleeping on the job anymore now that it's finally woken up and done something. <laughs> so, Jesse uh, Klaver of Groen Links asked Rutte if the government would do whatever it takes, which is a phrase they used during the uh, the pandemic, uh, to help people through the cost of living crisis. Uh, and Rutte replied he would do whatever it took to make sure nobody's heating was cut off this winter, but he was constrained by the limits of prudent financial management. Which is a very Rutte answer, I thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's, he's good at answers. I have to say that um, until until the budget day uh, debate in the past months, I I sort of noticed that Mark Rutte was, yeah, he, he wasn't his usual self. I think he was uh, he, almost as if he, he 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 didn't want to be prime minister anymore. Yeah. But uh, while the the algemene beschouwing was starting, I I I was looking at him. I was like, he's his old self again, um, yeah. um, uh, optimistic, uh, friendly, um, just in a good spirit. So. Um, yeah, maybe maybe the old Macrut is back, um, and uh, for, depending on who you ask, that's good news or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, 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 he kind of likes. That. I think that's him in his element. I mean, he's used to being in Parliament, sparring with people. He saw that you know, the, the, he he he's, he finds it very easy. I think to bat away the attacks. I mean, Geert Wilders would stand up every 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 now and then, and try and sort of launch an attack at him about how he's handling migration badly or whatever. And he just kind of stood up there and said, "Yeah, I saw that attack." He literally said at one point, "I think." I saw this attack coming. So it's yeah, like it just yeah. become routine for him now. I think. Yeah, yeah. really is. Yeah, <laughs> Th- this price cap. Yeah. Um, there aren't a lot of details out yet, but how exactly is it going to work? Do we know that already? Uh, a bit. We sort of know the broad um, thrust of it, which is, I mean, they haven't. Yeah, they still have to sort out the fine details. But the basic idea is that your gas and electricity will be capped, but only for the first twelve hundred uh, cubic meters of gas and two thousand four hundred kilowatts of electricity. Use uh, those are the units on your meter. So you won't pay any more than the capped rate as long as you're, you stay below those levels. But uh, once you go above them, then you have to pay whatever market rate your energy provider charges. Um, and the government will then refund the difference between the market rate and the cap rate to the energy company. And that's mm. going to cost an estimated $5.4 billion, uh, over the course of next year because uh, the, the cap comes in actually starts in November. 
and I think they've uh, budgeted separately for this year. But it could be 15 billion because we, no one has any idea really what's going to happen to yeah. gas prices uh, on the wholesale markets, which of course is all run by a Dutch setup system, the TTF, uh, which uh, is itself a kind of quite intriguing thing. But anyway, um, yeah, so, so, so the cost uh, could be absolutely anything. Uh, the figures that they mentioned in the media for what the cap could be are about 70 cents for a unit of electricity and. Um, one one euro fifty for gas. Um, I, yeah. I, I kind of checked my bills the other day because everyone's bills are going up in October. If, if you're not aware of this, uh, if you're on a variable rate, that is. If you're on a fixed rate, then well done for you're seeing fine. this coming. Yeah. But uh, if you if you're on a variable rate, your 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 charges will go up in October. I'll, but I'll still be paying less than seventy cents a unit for electricity. Um, yeah. But my gas price is higher, so my electricity won't be capped, but my gas will. And why did they set these limits? Well, they represent um, what uh, the the government's advice say is the average household's energy use because uh, the worry is that if they set an un- unlimited cap then people will just burn more energy and that obviously interferes with their targets to get people to be to conserve energy and switch to green energy um, but as the opposition pointed out that actually ends up being quite unfair on a whole lot of people particularly quite vulnerable people so if you live in a drafty rented house you're going to use more fuel but you can't do anything about it because that's your landlord's decision Um, And even if you do own the place, you might not have any spare money to spend on an insulation and uh, big fuel bills are only going to make that situation worse. So the CBS has calculated that around 8% of households in the bottom 25% of incomes also use more than the average amount of energy. Um, And then you have things like pensioners, people who are chronically ill or housebound or people who work from home uh, can't afford to turn down the heating in winter from the point of view of their health. And as you might have noticed, in the last couple of years, we've acquired quite a lot more chronically sick people and home workers in this country. Um, Peter Omsicht um, did a lot of really good homework on this. He basically asked people to sort of send in uh, their particular situation and then cited the example in Parliament of someone who's got rheumatism and uses an electric-powered scooter to get about, so they have to charge their scooter on the electric supply. So basically the only way to cut their bills is literally to sit in the cold and perish. Um, and finally, the government's been encouraging people to switch from gas to heat pumps, but um, that's uh, now going to be hit as well because the cap is on both fuels. So if you switch to a heat yeah. pump, you don't use gas anymore. Your gas bill is zero, but of course your heat pump is electric powered, so you use a lot more electricity, but you only yeah. get the benefit of half the cap. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, 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 yeah, a lot of details uh, still need to be worked out uh. I think, uh, but uh, Margaret has said in the debate that they were going to look into, you know, these uh, these uh, uh, these these uh, groups of people that uh, will not benefit from it at all. Even though you know this is this measure is specifically aimed at helping them, yeah. uh, but the problem with such a generic uh, measure is that uh, uh, you know it's it's e- easier to implement, of course, but a lot of people. Uh, will not benefit from it from it because of their specific uh, situations. Yeah, and again, it's a problem because you know, they've left it far too late, really, to to, to intervene. Yeah. And uh, up until now, they've sort of come up with various excuses, like uh, Brussels wouldn't allow it, uh, even though the European Union said, I think, a month ago that it was fine, um, or that it interfered with the market. Even though, I mean, the whole reason we're in this situation is that Britain has been inf- interfering with the market for you know for for, dec- for, for, for decades. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, eventually they, they they saw that you know people were going to be, you know, everyone was very very anxious about what's happening with their energy bills and that, they, that a price cap was the only way really to um, uh, alleviate people's uh, concerns. 
And uh, what else was uh, being discussed during the debate? Um, yeah, well, just one final point on energy, which is, uh, Ritter said, there are also plans being drawn up uh, to support s- small businesses with high energy use, like bakers, swimming pools, um, but it's extremely difficult. Um, elsewhere, uh, Rutter also underlined the Netherlands' support for Ukraine in repelling the Russian invasion. He said Vladimir Putin was trying to destroy the order that Europe had built since the end of the Second World War, and the Netherlands would continue to back sanctions, even if they had severe consequences for Dutch households and businesses. Um, mm-hmm. as, we, as you mentioned earlier, the Netherlands is investing 3.9 million in support for Ukraine next year, which includes 2.6 million, so about uh, two thirds of uh, that amount is just going to go to helping refugees in the country um, who've moved over here. Uh, Rutte also talked about uh, the skills shortage in the labour market, uh, which is uh, uh, because, as we say, unemployment's very low, but actually it's so low that there aren't enough people to fill all the vacancies. So he said the one thing the government was looking at um, was some kind of incentive for people to work more hours, perhaps a bonus for anyone doing a 40-hour week. Um, but the basic problem here is that there are far more, so many more vacancies than workers. The proportion is about 1.4 to 1. Um, it's not really clear if just asking everyone to do another couple of hours at work uh, is going to fix it. And there most, there's also likely to be legal challenges from um, organizations like the Human Rights Council who say it would uh, discriminate against women who stay at home to care for the children. Um, so, and oddly, I noticed there was not much talk at all about stickstuff um, and uh, yeah. the future of farming, which has been such yeah, an issue over right. the summer, but it's got completely bypassed. I think Esther Auerhunt uh, did have a question about uh, sustainable farming. Obviously, she you know, want to, she's a very much a supporter of the stickstuff measures and um, you know, less livestock farming, more kind of um, you know, uh, crop and uh, meat substitutes. But uh, Ritter didn't give a substantial answer, so she got annoyed about that. Um, and finally, there was uh, one other moment uh, I wanted to mention was a lot, lot of applause for Denk leader Farid Azakan um, when he stood up uh, towards the end of um, uh, Thursday evening and uh, said uh, that while he was um, glad to see the cabinet kind of taking a stance against Baudet and walking out, he asked why ministers were quite happy to sit through Geert Wilders' tirades against Islam. And he said, quote, when Wilders puts in a motion describing the religion of a million people as an ideology of hate and terror, nobody bats an eyelid. So, um, yeah. and there was kind of, you know, sort of a lot of applause and banging on desks from most of Parliament, obviously not from Wilders and his uh, yeah. his colleagues, um, uh, for that uh, for that speech. So that was quite a um, eye catching moment, I thought. That's right. And um, small uh, fact check: uh, the Netherlands is investing three point nine billion in support. Oh, did I say million? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Three billion. Yes. Yeah, um, and speaking of builders, the PFFA table is one millionth motion of no confidence in the cabinet, which failed. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I, I, uh, he failed to mention in his uh, in his speech uh, that he was going to table it, but uh, he, he did, and uh, yeah, it uh, it failed. Yeah, it always does. This is another of the Princess Dark traditions, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the debate is also often used by opposition uh, leaders to, 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 to get something from the cabinet and to strike a deal or anything. Um, um, th- did they manage this time to get anything added to the budget? Um, not a great deal. And it is often to, to some of the more interesting details come out of this. And often you don't read about it until a couple of days later. It kind of gets overshadowed during the debate. But on this occasion, it didn't seem to extract a huge amount of extra spending. I suppose basically because the cabinet said they'd already um, committed an unprecedented amount to... Um, um, relieving the cost of living crisis. But uh, Fulton de Zester did secure an extra 100 million for schools to provide free meals uh, to the poorest children. Uh, I think uh, mm. child poverty is really kind of coming onto the political radar at the moment. Um, I saw something in an essay about a school in Rotterdam that uh, started offering breakfasts last summer 
to kids and half the children on the roster signed up for them. It turns out a lot of children were just going to school without having eaten, which obviously affects your concentration and your ability to learn. Yeah, um, definitely does. So, yeah, expect more on that, I think, in the coming months. Um, opposition parties also secured commitments to help businesses with their energy bills, and their tenants will have the right to demand their rent uh, cut if their landlords don't um, provide sufficient insulation um, or if they're in kind of low energy efficient housing. If you have an EF or G label, I think you're, you'll be entitled to uh, have your rent hmm. reduced. Um, and also, in more alarming news: the three Christian parties secured a commitment to make the gateway to hell, sorry, the, the Vestas Hell the tunnel, <laughs> toll free from 2025. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. be prepared for that. And uh, that, that's uh, five years ahead of the uh, the date that's in the coalition agreement of 2030 to, to scrap the tolls uh, to Zeus Flanderen. I mean, but in old times they had to pay for the boat as well, right? Yeah, so, yeah. and and how about the Wadden Islander? Uh, 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 and exactly. they have to go by boat as well. Are we going to uh, make that uh, free for them as well? I mean, yeah. Dutch uh, consumer confidence fell to a new low in uh, September, the fifth month in a row that the index has set a record. Uh, in September, the index fell to minus fifty-nine, down from minus fifty-four in August. And consumers have never been so negative about both the economy and their own financial situation. The index reached its highest ever point uh, of 36 in January 2000. And the sub-index covering the economy fell to minus 79 and reflected increasing pessimism about both the past 12 months and next year. Consumers have also never been so unwilling to spend money on major purchases and fewer expect to make savings. Uh, in total, only 50% say they expect to be able to save any money in the coming year, and 85 say they have noticed prices going up sharply. And that's also a record. The paradox, though, is that meanwhile, the Dutch economy has grown by 2.6% in the second quarter, uh, according to uh, other figures uh, um, uh, published by the CBS uh, this week. Yeah, and that is kind of an interesting conundrum, I think, uh, that uh, when you look at uh, the figures that they produced, uh, the, the CBS and the CPB, um, in the run-up to budget day, you, you think you're looking at a healthy economy, right? I mean, the GDP yeah. grew, is going to grow this year by 4.6%, which is better than they forecast last year. The the, the budget deficit is quite small. Um, the national debt is down, partly because we've we've actually had quite a lot of revenues from, from the gas fields. Right, I mean, yeah. I know we've decommissioned Chronia, but there's still gas production in the North Sea and the Vaden Islands. And Rente. And, and yet, so you have actually quite what looks like in the face of it, like quite a robust economy, and yet the people living in it um, are really alarmed by you know what, what's happening with their household spending. People don't feel rich, and that's often because really the, the, their, their costs are going up dramatically. Yeah. And of course, unemployment is also very low, which again, usually in normal times is a sign of a healthy economy. So on the one hand, the country itself is very rich, but the people are seeing their spending power drop by like 7% this year. It's not a normal kind of a, kind of crisis in that way. Usually when you're heading into a recession, you see the, 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 the deficit going up, uh, the national debt going up, and the government doesn't have any money to spend, so we have to kind of make cutbacks. But this time, actually, there's a surplus of money in some ways. Uh, and yet uh, an awful lot of people queuing up to uh, really needing uh, to, to get a share of it. Yeah, it's just the uncertainty that is killing here. Mm. Uh, we don't know what the, what the prices of the basic goods are going to do, energy, food, um, whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's uh, un- uncertain times. And uh, 
There's also a housing crisis, of course, but house prices in the Netherlands continue to to keep rising. Uh, But the growth has been slowing down for the past four months, again, according to figures by uh, CBS. In August, house prices were up uh, 11.9%, but in July, the rise was 14.5%. Last winter, house prices were uh, rising by around 20% a year. House prices have been rising steadily each year since 2013 and are now double the figure of nine years ago. Uh, fewer houses are changing hands, although the supply of houses for sale on the housing site Funda has risen this year. In August, 16,405 deals were signed, that's down 5% on July and 20% below the August 2021 figure. And the Financiële Dagblad reported that there was a slight month-on-month drop of 0.1% in prices from July to August. Is that a good sign? I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess it looks like, I mean, the, the house price boom has peaked and certainly, I mean, houses have kind of doubled in value yeah. over the last decade. So it probably is a bit of relief um, to a lot of people who are trying to buy their first home or are trying to move up the housing ladder. And of course, one of the other uh, costs that we haven't mentioned that's uh, going up is people's mortgages because interest rates are rising as well. So yeah, if you're buying a house now, you have to take out a bigger mortgage, which means you can afford to borrow less. So, yeah, I think um, it's no surprise when you look at that, that um, the cost of houses is um, is topping out. No big ticket purchases uh, or expensive holidays or a new house this year for a lot of people. But sometimes it's the little things in life that keep you going, like listening to the Dutch News podcast, which you can still support <laughs> for as little as a dollar, a euro or a pound a month. If that is the only bright light in your life left <laughs> exactly. over, then things are really dire. Yes, yeah, so it's a so save one unit of gas a month by sticking the heating on half an hour <laughs> later in the morning or something. But uh, in all seriousness, in these straightened times, we really do appreciate your contributions, uh, whatever you can spare to help us keep making these podcasts and uh, hopefully bring you a little bit of light into your dark, cold poems in the depths of winter. Oh, yeah. So as ever, this is the moment when we say thank you to all our patrons. And if you're not supporting us already, uh, please consider donating if you can via Patreon. We'll give you a shout out on the next show by way of thanks and do our best to ask to your questions about uh, all the quirks of living in the Netherlands. Or yeah. anything. Or anything any at all, really. It doesn't have yeah. to be living in the Netherlands or visiting the Netherlands or or, or just whatever's on your mind. Um, quantum physics, we cover everything. Okay, I'll, I'll leave the quantum physics to you, to be honest. But uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, uh, go to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dutch News NL. 2022 has been a pretty rotten year for lots of people, but it's been a boom year for the country's wolf population. At least 16 cubs have been born in the Netherlands this year, including three in the north, which can now boast its first wolf pack. So, uh, yeah, they can look forward to a, a life of uh, earthquake damage. And, yeah. and uh, blokkeervriezen. Yeah, and blokkeervriezen. Uh, another 13 cubs were born across the Veluwe in the middle of the country, where most Dutch wolves have roamed since the animals returned to the country seven years ago. The figures are reported by nature monitoring organisation Bij Twaalf, not to be confused with Bijen, uh, based on... <laughs> although Bij Twaalf are also a very inclusive organisation. Obviously, they want to include wolves into, in, in the Netherlands and probably want to make sure that they they, they, they get all their healthcare benefits and, and, and human yeah. rights. Um, yeah. But Glenn Lelyfeld of the Dutch Mammals Association, Zorgdierenvereniging... Of course we have an association for that. Of course there is, yeah. Um, yeah. They're probably campaigning for pay, pay rises as well. Yeah. Um, he told the Oceanal there could be even more. He said the cameras that are filming the families may have missed one that went walkabout. So That makes sense. So are the wolves in every part of the Netherlands now? Uh, not quite. 
one small corner of the country still bravely holds out against the big tooth invaders. Serious Flandre? Yeah, because they weren't paid to go through the Vesterskill. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps they haven't got to Serious Flandre ever. But they'd probably come in via Belgium, because there are walls in mm, Belgium as well could now. be. Yeah. Because yeah. Serious Flandre is Belgium, really. It's just pretending yeah. to be in the Netherlands. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Probably the only place in the country where they where they still hang the flag the right way up. <laughs> but no, so it's South Holland is the only place that wolves. Probably because it's where the king is and he's um he's shooting them all because he's got a hunting license. Isn't he? Yeah, but in the Veluwe. Oh, of course, in the Veluwe. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. where as the the crown domain is. Yeah. I discovered this week that there are only five species you're allowed to hunt in the Netherlands. Do you know what they are? Uh, rabbits. Yeah, rabbits is one. Pheasants. Uh, pheasants is another. Yeah. Uh, deer. Uh, not deer. No, deer get culled. I think it's a uh, uh, boar. No, uh, wild boars, I think one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Pigeons. Uh, wood pigeons specifically. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we have four now. Yeah. And the fifth is um, I don't know. Wild duck. Is the other one. Wild duck. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I, I said wild yeah. boar, so that was, that's not true. No, it's not. It's uh, rabbits, pheasants, wood pigeons, wild ducks, and one other. Yeah, I don't know what the other is. The hares. Uh, ah. Okay. So rabbits and hares. So yeah, quite okay. quite close yeah. relatives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the big five of the failure, the get them five, all. Yeah, exactly. It is, yes, it's, yes. So go on safari in the failure and see the big five or little five. Um, but should the farmers in South Holland be worried now? No, Lelyfeld said the rules won't affect the farmers in the failure um, because they already have an abundance of wildlife to feed on, such as deer, wild boar, and rabbits. Uh, and there are electric fences and sheepdogs to keep them away from the farms. But in other parts of the country, not South Holland yet, uh, wolves have attacked livestock, and some 407 animals have died as a result of wolf attacks this year, including. Including a pony. Was it Pony Emma? I don't know. So hmm. hopefully not. And uh, at least there aren't lions roaming in the plains. Uh, no, not yet. But, but but the lions in Amsterdam's Artis Zoo are getting a new home. Ah. There are three lions at Artis: uh, a three-year-old male and two lionesses, aged eight and nine. But their enclosure was built in 1927, and it measures just 150 square meters, which is deemed too small. Although compared to most flats in Amsterdam, that's a palace. <laughs> so it probably cost them about two million as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's also a listed building. So they, oh. they can't knock it down, but they're going to move them uh, into another larger area at the back of the zoo. Uh, the problem is the zoo lost so much income during the pandemic that it considered sending the lions to France. What kind of delicacy do, do, do the French make from lions? They, they, they would use every part, wouldn't they? They'd, be, yeah. they'd get like lion's <laughs> paws from the menu. <laughs> But uh, do they have to go to France or can they just stay in Amsterdam? They've been spared that fate thanks to a generous donation from uh, two anonymous well-wishers. Okay. So again, instead they're going to have a new home designed by architect Teister Zeeuw and it will be ten times as large and uh, built at the back of the zoo. Teister said their new home would be much more like their natural environment. He said it's based on the savannah landscape where the lions can climb up hills. Not quite sure how they can do that. <laughs> <laughs> this this person has 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 watched too much The Lion King, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they can climb up hills, sway their surroundings, and kind of hold up a baby for all the other animals to go <laughs> at <laughs> in the sunset while a terrible Elton John song plays in the background, <laughs> which actually is something that would happen in the Netherlands, probably. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, uh, I think he will also propose to put the uh, boars and uh, and the meerkats uh, in, yeah. in that enclosure as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then have a constant sound. And the hyenas. Of, yeah, and have a constant soundtrack of Coldplay until the lions yeah. are able to live. <laughs> but he says they can play in the sand along the water or hide in the caves that line the enclosure. So happy lions okay. in artists. Good for them.
Time for some lighter news, or at least uh, it's light if you're not a school child or parent in Oostburg in Zeeland. Last May, the Twee Master Chameleon Primary School made headlines in this country after a janitor found out that the school, which was under construction at the time, was built the other way around. The janitor was walking over the construction site when he noticed that, according to the building plans, a staircase was missing. After closer examination, it was discovered that the entire school, which was already two floors high, was built the wrong way. It was turned 180 degrees. After that, it was decided that the school needed to be rebuilt, uh, this time with the plans the right way up. Mm-hmm. This week, however, the story entered a new chapter after it was discovered that, according to rules and regulations, the new school is three meters too close to the road. Luckily, this time construction hadn't started yet, but it does mean that the opening of the new school, which had been the topic of debate for already two decades, will be delayed again, uh, while the municipality and the school are looking for solutions. Uh, city councillor of Flissinger called it a horror scenario. <laughs> I imagine the bar for that in Flissinger is quite high. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, they, they had already demolished the old school because there was no place to build the new school in, uh, in a different place. So they uh, demolished uh, the, the existing school, built it the first time up, noticed that they had built it the wrong way around, demolished it again, mm. and now there's another problem. So and it's, then they got um, to push it uh, back away from the road. Yeah, quite amazing. You, you can get up to the second floor before you notice the... School is the wrong way round. Um, they should just name the Finnish school after MC Escher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how they managed it, I don't know. The 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 interesting thing is apparently they had built the the foundation works correctly, mm. and then they started building the rest. Uh, and 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 yeah, that was that was done uh, the other way around. So yeah, yeah it, if they had also built the the, the foundation 180 degrees, they, they could have just continued, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was the reason why it had to be demolished because the foundation was just not designed for yeah, that. Yeah, so it wasn't, wouldn't have been stable. No. I like, like the detail that uh, the janitor walked in one day and noticed a staircase was missing. Like, uh, did he actually try to, <laughs> to sort of try and go up the stairs and think, hang on a second, something's not right here. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> All my buckets and my mops are, are supposed <laughs> to be underneath this staircase. Where is it? And finally to sports news. Now, everyone's been waiting with bated breath for the return of the Nations League, right? <laughs> I know I have. I know <laughs> I, I know have. you have, yeah, yeah. yeah. So last night, the Netherlands played Poland in Warsaw and uh, came away with a pretty convincing 2-0 victory. Uh, Cody Gakpo mm-hmm. in the first half and Steven Bergwijn in the second scored the goals. But Louis van Gaal was particularly pleased with the fact the team managed to secure their first shutout in seven matches. And the pundits were happy because Van Gaal has got the team playing the 3-4-3 system again. <laughs> so, happy times. Yeah. And there are even sort of cautious comments that there maybe could be a good outside bet for the World Cup. Um, so, we really, we really are living back in the 1970s in so many ways. Yeah. The Dutch are also all but certain now of progressing in the Nations League, because even if they lose the final group game in Amsterdam 3-0 uh, on Sunday, and they're playing Belgium, so that would be a humiliation in many ways. <laughs> They will still nevertheless go through as group winners. Uh, but there was um, one cloud on the horizon because there were quite a few injuries during the match. So Memphis Depay limped off with a muscle strain and he won't play against Belgium. Frankie de Jong was also substituted as a precaution. And Stefan Berghaus went off with back pain. And he was only playing because uh, he'd come on for Tone Koopmeiners, who got an elbow in the face in the first mm. minute. Um, which wasn't very nice. And Van Gaal also uh, singled uh, Remco Passfeer out for praise. The Ajax goalkeeper was making his debut for Oranje at the age of 38. Yeah, very old. 
En Vergaal was also caught spreading fake news this week. P- perhaps we can ask him to become a, a, a podcast host on the yeah, Dutchman's podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't retweeted by Thierry Baudet oh, okay. so yet. Yeah, but indeed, Van Gaal added to the huge pile of fake news this week. He was asked at the pre-bench press conference if he'd been a good penalty taker back in his day. And he proudly trotted out a story of how he'd once uh, scored in the UEFA Cup for Azad Alkmaar against the great Russian goalkeeper Renat Dusayev. Now, Dusayev uh, was the poor sap who was in goal when Marco van Basten uh, struck his uh, oh. uh, pearl of a volley in the 1988 European Championship final. So that was where you know him from. A video I've seen so many times that I can uh, yeah, copy this exactly. move uh, uh, effortlessly as well. Yeah, yeah. as a Dutch person, you've probably seen that goal like uh, more than any other piece of video footage in the world. Yeah. But um, yeah, and unfortunately, Van Gaal, NOS actually got hold of the footage uh, of the game <laughs> between Azet and Sparta at Moscow from 1983, which showed that Van Gaal did not, in fact, fire the ball high into the top corner, uh, but he scuffed it towards the bottom corner where Desayev was able to push it around the post. Well, I'm glad we just so we could expose Van Gaal as the fake news spreader <laughs> as he is. Yeah, yeah. So you're not the worst fake news peddler this yeah, week. I'm uh, very well, glad uh, yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Uh, but never mind the football, there's been a fantastic tussle in cycling. Uh, yeah, uh, Balkan Mollema, uh, who's uh, perhaps best known for a couple of stage wins in the Tour de France, uh, got in a bit of a flap at the World Road Race Championship in Wollongong in Australia. The trouble started when his chain snapped during Wednesday's mixed team time trial race. And as he tried to catch up with his teammates, he was ambushed by a seagull, <laughs> which flew across his handlebars and forced him to duck his head. Are, are we sure? Are we sure this uh, this uh, this race wasn't uh, wasn't done uh, near the Binnenhof Fiver? <laughs> yeah, you'd have thought he'd have had some practice at dodging seagulls. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, living in the Netherlands. Yeah, but yeah, uh, he, he had to kind of sort of uh, d- d- duck away as a seagull um, came towards him. Um, so that cost him some time. And uh, Annemiek van Floten, another member of the team, fell during the race. And the Dutch basically it was just a, bit of a catastrophe for them. They, they were contenders for a medal. They were defending champions, but they finished fifth. But it wasn't the first time this week uh, that Molomar had his wings clipped, because on a training run on Tuesday he had to take evasive action when a magpie took a shine to his helmet. And he, uh, he he made some photos of that incident, didn't he? Yeah, he posted some uh, footage of the magpie uh, yeah. on um, on Instagram, and then I think a photographer was standing by when he was attacked by the seagull. So yeah, l- l- lots of pictures which we'll link to in the liner notes. He, he should have made, gone out of his way to try and see a second magpie to cancel out the bad luck, <laughs> and because he didn't, uh, he was then mauled by a seagull. Then he posted uh, the footage on the Instagram and called it a bad luck day, um, or he was a in Dutch a pechvogel. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. I, I, would it be great to just uh, now come to think of it uh, replace all the all the military uh, uh, people from the state funeral with Russian uh, new recruits? How, how would that look like? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think that's a good idea. We should do it again and then yeah. uh, let's see how it looks. Yeah. yeah exactly. See see how far it goes. You see how many actually turned up. <laughs> yeah.
I mean, enough Russians in in, in London, right? So <laughs> yeah, plenty. <laughs> Actually, can already do that. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. I'm sure they have no no problem finding a couple of a uh, couple of spare oligarchs 